May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that a mishap not come about through us. And may we not stumble in a matter of Torah and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is Tameh that it is Tahor, and not regarding something which is Tahor that it is Tameh. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah and we rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wonders from your Torah. Okay, so a couple of housekeeping things here. Um, are we good with the email that I sent you? I believe so. The follow-up uh, email? Yeah. Are we good with the... I'm fine. Okay. I was funny. I'm good. Wait, are, you, are you... Yeah, doing your... Yeah. Are we okay with the email I sent you too? The follow-up email from... The, the, yeah. The, okay. Yeah. All right, so for all of that, then... Uh, I'm getting dramatically confused because I'm at least one week, if not two weeks, ahead of you guys in your in your studies, and it's. I actually thought we were finishing the Gospels tonight. We're not finishing the Gospels tonight. We're finishing the Gospels next Tuesday night, which brings up a good point. There's no class next Tuesday because I'm going to be at uh, Tom Brown's wedding in Florida. But that gives you two weeks to get the last lesson done, lesson ten which ends the Gospels. And if you'll recall... Yeah. I thought we were doing Lesson 10 tonight. Lesson 9's tonight. Reading ahead. Lesson 9's tonight, because you guys were killing me in Lesson 8, going for the death scene, and I'm like, wait, that's next week! So, yeah. So I'm glad that you studied Lesson 10. It's a great lesson. It is great. Lesson. It is. <laughs> how, how many people here are, are signing their dates 2018? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't read the date. I have the 2016. I, read, I wrote the dates. All right, so we're doing Lesson 9 tonight. Lesson 10 was going to be next week, but I'm not going to be here. So we're, I'm going to give you two weeks to get Lesson 10 done, which is very important because I'm looking for great things from you on Lesson 10. Because Lesson 10... Not only ending the Gospels, ends the long Gospel of John. Remember, that's the Gospel that has half before the cross, and or before the last week, and half in the last week. So uh, we end the Gospel of John with that uh, esoteric conversation with the Master. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He asked him that three times. Do you love me? We know I love you, but do you love me? You know I love you. Do, you. do you love me? I love you. You know I love you. And each time he gives him a different answer. It turns out that in the Greek it's completely different. It's not the same as it is in English. I've torn that up pretty well, I think, for you in Lesson 10. So take some time so that we can look at that. So no class next week. The following week, which is... Uh, the 17th. The 17th. The day after Martin Luther King Day. Right, which is a federal holiday. Federal holiday. Um, that day, uh, it's two days after. No, it's the next day after. You're right. After Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, um, we'll have that class. On the 24th, the following week, Joshua's going to teach, and he's going to summarize what we've learned, or possibly learned, what we should have seen in the Gospels with regard to the Holy Spirit how the Holy Spirit is treated. And perhaps it's a little different than what we grew up to know. So 
That's going to be a great class. Yes, sir. By teaching, does that mean he's creating the lesson material as well? Or he is, is creating the lesson material, which I hope he's going to pass to me so I can put him to the book. Yeah. So that would be the homework people need to do. That would be the homework people need to do. But they've got two weeks to do lesson 10. Which means that you've got I have two week weeks to get me. To two, get no, me. two weeks to get me. <clears throat> two weeks. Well, one week and six days so that I can upload it so they're ready. Yes. Um, so you got almost two weeks to get the lesson plan to me so I can get it into the study. This will be a new challenge. I've never developed homework before. It's going to be a wonderful. Actually, a little dissertation might be nice, too. So it's up to you. Whatever you give me, I'll make it look good and give you all the I was going to do the whole thing in Latin. That works. <laughs> the Latin Vulgate. Benjamin's got a copy of that in his back pocket right now. It's unbelievable. All right. So then after that's the 24th, on the 31st, the last Tuesday of January, Gregory is going to try and recap what we've learned about halakha for non-Jews, the purpose of the class, out of the Gospels. That's a tall order. He's going to try and summarize it all, and I hope that you're going to come prepared to, to talk about what you've seen with regard to Jews versus non-Jews, specifically focusing on the non-Jews. And of course, we've already edited the materials to take complete credit for the 10 lepers one of them's a non-Jew thing that Mr. Martin came up with three weeks. So on audio, he's got all credit, but in the in the printout, we're gonna we're gonna take all credit for that. That's great. So uh, outstanding. I wish I had seen that. Sounds it's like a difference awesome. between written history and oral history. Basically, yes. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna go over all the history, oral, written, or otherwise, and uh, Gregory's got that. That'll give me two weeks, two weeks off, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity. So if anybody else wants to step up and do that same kind of thing. Uh, later on, as we finish uh, each one of these books coming up, think about it after next week's lesson. Week after next week. <coughs> it's only one book at a time. You don't have to read four different books and try and weave them together. So that should be pretty cool. Book of Acts should be amazing. All right, questions on that? And what's coming up? So we talked about the Nazarite vow last week that perhaps the master had taken. And I think uh, Jonathan originally said he didn't think he took a Nazarite vow. And after hearing some of the conversation that we had, he seemed to change his mind. That perhaps he had in fact taken a Nazarite vow, considering what the Talmud says about it and so forth. So the question I asked you in this week's lesson was, so why did Yeshua refuse the wine mixed with gall or myrrh. And I had always been taught in the, in the Baptist and Presbyterian church that he didn't want to dull his senses. He wanted to feel the pain of the crucifixion. That's very well, I noble. I Christian you didn't drink. The Baptist persuasion, yes, I mean, come on. Well, well, but they're thinking the wine is nothing but grape juice anywhere, <laughs> right? So, you know, it doesn't really matter. But last week's perspective gave me a different view there that maybe he refused the wine for a different purpose. What do you think? Cool. I mean, Nazarite vow is explicit on what you can and can't have, and the answer is nothing. If it has anything to do with the grape, the skin, the seeds, You're nothing. done. So the grape jam doesn't cut it. Which, by the way, I think, under the circumstances, he would have been fine anyway, to the extent that he's taking that as... Medicinal. Medicinal to 
relieve pain or yeah. sustain. Yeah. No doubt he would have had to cut his hair, start all over again, but it's okay. <laughs> I, think, I think he would have got a pass if, if he would have chosen <laughs> to. Yes. Okay. Other comments there? <laughs> I guess he only passed the cup around at the last Seder. He didn't actually drink from it then? No, he did. No, yeah, he, he did. It's after that. Yeah. Okay. He's on that. I'm not going to drink this again <clears throat> until we drink it together in the kingdom. Okay. Anew in the kingdom. All right. Just double checking. All right. So my second question to you at the close of last week's lesson was, list all the references to the Pharisees' involvement in Yeshua's last night on earth. I wouldn't say it's a trick question, but I'd be very interested in what you got. Mr. Spurlock. Well, your question is not exactly a trick question, although we have to point out, I just have to point out, that the homework for the last night on Earth is technically last week's homework, not this one. It's a sheer technicality, because by this week's homework, we're in the morning. It's no longer just last night. However, um... Good, good. But you could look back. Which I did. It's hard to look forward, because but you can look back. rereading all of these things again was, ah. not, was much longer than just me doing a word search That's for the true. word Pharisee. <laughs> so the only reference in the last night is that Judas has um, a handful of Pharisee officials or somebody or other comes with him. Uh, he says it took some officials from the scribes and Pharisees, John 18. And then the next time Pharisee is mentioned in any of the Gospels is at the very end, um, I believe it's Luke has the reference, where um, they go to Pilate and say, Who do? Who go? Uh, Pharisees and the scribes go to, uh, the scribes? Is it the Pharisees? It is the Pharisees. They're one of the ones. They go to Pilate and just say, this guy said he was going to raise in three days. I'm thinking we should make sure that doesn't happen. And that's basically, the, that's it. They don't have any references in the trial. There are no references in the crucifixion. In fact, I think the book of Mark doesn't even mention them for like the last like four chapters. Yeah, there's they disappear. One, there's one more reference. Oh. Was the, wasn't one of the guys who buried him a Pharisee? Well, oh, well yes. Okay. Yeah. Joseph of Arimathea. Oh, he was And Nachdemon or Nicodemus. Nicodemus definitely was, yeah. Yeah. So that one's pretty impressive, actually, mm -hmm. right? So I had neglected the one about uh, going to Pilate. To make the tomb, we get the seal on the tomb thing. Yeah, I think that's is that um, that's Matthew's reference, I believe. Yes, it's it's Matthew twenty-seven verse sixty-two. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. There, I, there is a John eighteen reference too, where it says Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with the lanterns and torches mm. and weapons. Right. That's the one I thought was the last one, and then. They're, they don't want to have anything to do with it. Okay. Okay. Right, which is really interesting. And, and, and I find it intriguing that some of them participated in the arrest, but then as soon as the trial became obviously quite a sham, it appears that they backed out. Exactly. They they, their names don't match up again. And, and that does appear to be the case. That, all right, we'll, we'll have them arrested, but let's, let's you know, figure out what's really going on here. And then the way it's figured out, they don't want to have anything to do with it. Perhaps they had they there was no prior plan by the Pharisees to crucify him. Perhaps they didn't that wasn't necessarily their intention. Don't know. We, I don't we do know that a lot of them followed him. Around Galilee. I don't mean as disciples, but physically followed him. And, and we know there were certain Pharisees that certainly believed. 
And, and, and as of the, what we talked a couple weeks ago, by the time they get done with the questioning uh, discussions that happen, the Pharisees, they, no, I don't think there's any more references to the Pharisees wanting to have him killed. And I don't even know if there's any references to him wanting to be arrested. So this one reference in John is the only indication that even some of the Pharisees have an issue with him anymore. That's right, yeah. And, and quite frankly, that's my point, is that for some reason, at least growing up in the church, it was the Pharisees that were always against him. The Pharisees were the ones he hated. The Pharisees are the ones he came to smack across the face. And it's the Pharisees who killed him. You know, the Pharisees had a lot of stuff that they had problems with. Some of them were minute and heart problems. But he seemed to identify with where they were coming from. He seemed to be able to eat with and work with them very easily. And in the end, Pharisees buried him. So that was the point of the question. I think we got it. Which is to point out, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I heard that. Oh, okay. A little smack of the lips. I know. You've yeah. got to watch him sometimes. Yeah. I was going to say that the, the, the burial, which I know we talked about before in our group, but just for the benefit of those who are looking online, is a significant event because by burying Yeshua, both Nachimon and Joseph of Arimathea cannot participate in the Passover. That's right. Mm-hmm. So they would have to wait until the second Passover, Pesach which Shane. takes place uh, about a month later, exactly a month later. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, um, this would be the only the second time in all of Scripture that we have a reference to that. The actually first, happening. Actually happening. The first time being when it was instituted because some guys were taking care of a dead body. And it was their friend. So it's, and considering the fact that I think it's John that references that Joseph is um, secretly a disciple. and For fear of the Jews. For fear, yeah. And, uh, and then and the Nicodemus, we know, came at night. And he seems to sort of die, uh, doesn't really seem to be open about his approach in Yeshua yeah. either, based on his other references. Um, this is the closest you're going to come to being open about it. Because by, by, by having to sit out the Passover, that's a huge deal. Oh, yeah. And you have to have a good reason for it. Well, as I think we're almost, most of the, uh, all of the men over 20, all the men over 14, all the men who were 15 are married. So you know if two hours before the Seder, you you came home and said, we can't have the Seder. Oh, I can't have the Seder. <laughs> <laughs> have a great time. Will be <laughs> My wife will be like, I'll be upstairs watching like the game. That's a personal problem, <laughs> I've prepared all this. <laughs> We're having the Passover. You go upstairs. I think what yeah. you mean to say is you can have this. That's right. right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That is great. Okay. So, um, so let's take a look at uh, some of the scriptures that I put together for you. Uh, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't grab them, if you'll zip down to the end of tonight's document. Um, you'll find uh, the handout for next week as well as the handout for tonight. Um, lesson 9 review. That's on uh, that is on Roman numeral 12. XII, uh, XII right. Yeah. In case you want to speed on Roman numerals. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what is it? 
that's fundamental to our faith. What is it that Paul is so adamant about that we understand, that we believe, that we recognize? And it's the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, we're, we're out of luck. In fact, we're, we're to be pitied because we're living this life of potential asceticism, limiting our diet, watching how we act, not living riotously, if you will. Um, so we've got a couple of, uh, couple of references here. Uh, and I, I could have put a whole lot more, but Isaiah 26, um, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. This is just one of many in the prophets that speak of the resurrection. How is it that the Sadducees could not understand or believe in the resurrection? It says it a lot of times in the, in the Gospels. Why, why would they not believe in the resurrection, especially after you read something like this in Isaiah 26? doesn't matter. What's the answer to the question? Why did the Sadducees not believe in the resurrection? Think about it. You can get this. What did they believe? Who are the Sadducees? Who are the Sadducees? They're the sad ones, you see. Because um, <laughs> they didn't believe in the resurrection. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What did the Sadducees believe? I don't know. Okay, good. The Book of Moshe? They, yes, they believe the five books of Moshe. They believed in the Torah and none of the the prophets. Who did I just quote? Prophet. So if you're not reading the prophets, you're a little hard-pressed to find the resurrection in there, necessarily. So that would explain why they didn't believe that. Right? So Isaiah 26. Um, I've got Matthew 12, where the Master talks about the men of Nineveh and the Queen of the South rising up at the judgment. Well, there's got to be some kind of resurrection there. Whether it's to life or to death, there's still some type of resurrection because there's judgment. Um, you remember when he was arguing with the Sadducees, and they talked about this guy married this one woman, and he died. So she married this next guy, and another brother, and he died. And then another brother, and he died. Another brother, and he died. Another brother, and he died. It's a really tough family, really. I think it's the food, probably. It could be the water. But in the end, she's married to all these men. To whose wife is she in the resurrection? And the master argues against that and says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the power of God or how to interpret the scriptures. In Matthew 22, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven who evidently eat pasta all the time. Comments on that one? I mean, what does that mean, they're like angels in heaven? I don't know if that... He just said what angels in heaven are like. They neither are given... <laughs> they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But technically, she was already married or and given marriage. She was married here. So what's the difference between the priesthood here and the priesthood there? It's a world of difference. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, it's a different, different mindset. 
there's no, I mean, the whole marriage thing is to, until death need, you, do you part. There's the no need death. To procreate is only a mitzvah in this life, or this world, not in the world to come. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, so procreation, till death do you part. Well, there's no death, so. Okay. It's just a, it's a different route, but. All right. I'll roll with you. All right. Later on in Matthew 27, you've already read the tombs. Did you read that one already? We've read. Through. You didn't rise yet. Not yet. Right. Okay. So you're going to read this <laughs> this week. I've read Skipping that. You read that. That's right. You read that. I don't think we got to 28. You keep telling us not to skip ahead. And then you, <laughs> you skip ahead. I'm skipping ahead. I'm review. sorry. It's not a review. That's right. That's right. This is a new, new material. The tombs also were open. Actually, you did read that yeah. this week. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I'm, I've got a lot of curious questions about this particular verse. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that in two weeks. So study this verse, especially Matthew 27, 52 and 53. When did they rise? When did they come into the city? When he rose. It's interesting they put the context of that here. Wow. Into the holy city and appeared to many. They, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Period. New thought. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city. So when were they raised? Were they raised and then just kind of laid there and went, now this is cool. I'm underground. Whoa. Might take a few days to dig out. That's right. Yeah. What's that under your finger? What verse is that again? Matthew, waiting for it to move. Matthew 27, 52 to 53. So, we'll talk about that in two weeks. I mean, I just really want to focus on the resurrection thing. He is not here for he has risen. This is definitely in next week's class. Matthew 28. Come and see the place where he lay. Um... And then we move to Acts chapter 4. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Yeshua, and great grace was upon them all. These guys were professing one major theme. He rose from the dead. Paul made it clear. This is key. This is the bottom line. He actually rose from the dead. Which is interesting because as you asked this week, you mentioned that in your bigger point, as I thought about it, I realized that the Christianity doesn't actually have a good reason for why that's so critical. Because Paul doesn't really go into a whole lot of detail about it. I mean, there's a lot of like, well, you know, he had to raise the dead to prove that the sacrifice was accepted. But that's not really in the scriptures. That's just kind of a theological construct that we've tried to use to figure out why it's so critical. Well, it is in the scriptures that... It well, proved that he was a son of God. Right, but that's my point, though. Is this interesting is that Paul's reason for the resurrection is, and others' res- reasons for the resurrection, is different from the Christian theological construct because I don't think Christianity gets it. Whereas Paul's argument seems to be, I guess we're getting way ahead here, but yeah. um, is much more to your point. It's a validity of who he is, not necessarily a validity of his work, which I find very intriguing. So it, in, their mi- in, in, in Paul's mind... It seems to be less about um, it uh, verifying his death and meaning of his death and, and how that saves us and whatever else, mm-hmm. and much more on the fact that it seals 
the identity of Yeshua as Messiah, as Son of God. I agree. And that, to me, only makes sense in the context of the Jewish traditions about Messiah, where, according to tradition even today, Mashiach ben Yosef rises from the dead. Right. Exactly right. And it's, it's a hallmark, then, of who he is. But that's, like, that's the only reason, in my mind, why it would be so critical to Paul and the disciples. You're right. They make a bigger deal of that than they do about his death. His yeah. death is almost like a means to an end. Now, later on, as Paul and as the disciples really start to hash out the theological implications of his death, that's where you get a lot of the uh, forgiveness of sins uh, material. Sure. But I think in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see in a, in a few weeks, many, many, many weeks, we'll see. 2018. <laughs> that's right. Um, we're going to see that without the resurrection, the fact that he died is useless. And if he died and stayed dead... Well, then you're going to die and stay dead. Right. And the Sadducees were right. Well, and that's what's so interesting about, I'm just going to say, is that, like, to me, Paul's reasons should get us to not reconsider the purpose of Yeshua's death. I think that the, I think that Christianity is generally correct on that. Sure. However, to better contextualize that and to realize it's really kind of almost a small piece of what Yeshua was, is doing. His role as Mashiach is huge, and it's more important to verify his identity yes. than it is to figure out what it was he was doing on the cross. Yeah, I agree that that is Paul's argument in that era, that the identity, who he is, has been forever resolved. dealt with and yeah. resolved. You bet. So, I was going to make comment he just made so yeah. um, but I but I have I have other I have a couple other things here so how do you respond uh, to someone who says well okay let's let's pretend that you know had Yeshua not been raised from the dead you, know, you just made the statement that if he didn't if he didn't uh, raise from the dead then that means when we all die, we stay dead. That's actually what Paul says. I'm just but, quoting him. But we know. But how, how do you then answer the the skeptic who would who would point out that well, there were people that were raised from the dead before Yeshua. Sure. So. And Yeshua raised people from. And the Yeshua dead. himself raised people from the dead. Yes. Before he yes. was raised. So then, why is his resurrection? any more or less significant? I think this is a great question, really. And if there's a godly man walking around who decides to ride, you know, raise you from the dead, then you could be raised from the dead. But generally speaking, percentage-wise, statistically mm -hmm. speaking, everybody who died stayed dead. Sure. Statistically. Yes. And 10 out of 10 do die. But that's still true. Absolutely. But if he was raised from the dead, then there is a hope that is spoken of in the, in the prophets that there will be a judgment and we will all be raised. Now, what happened to us after that judgment, you know, you paddle your own canoe. But the skeptic could say, well, but I had that hope when, you know, when the son of the Shunammite woman was raised or when whoever in history. Then you were theologically mistaken. 
that's not that's not gonna that's not gonna sell to the skeptic. Really? really? You have not answered the skeptic's question. All right, he hang on. First. I got it. Go ahead. Um, I would say cool shirt, case, by the way. Shoe's case is different because no one raised him from the dead. Exactly. He raised okay. himself from the dead. And Did um, he raise himself from the dead? Okay. God, God, raised, him God him. raised him from the dead. Okay. But you understand what I'm saying. I do. Um, but and furthermore, even more importantly, how can we know but, how can we know that happened? But God raised all of those prior people from the dead. But he, he, used, he used an instrument of a prophet. Right. I think in, it, every case. in this case, we're talking about a different type of resurrection. The resurrection of Lazarus and all, and the Shunammite son, in all likelihood, resulted in them eventually dying again. They were resurrected Perhaps. into this life, as far as we can tell. It doesn't explicitly say that. I mean, the church built a church where Lazarus right, died. But my point, though, is that we're talking about resurrection from the dead up until Yeshua is the equivalent of extreme healing. You're getting somebody to come back into this body, into this earth, to then die again. Nothing has changed epis uh, 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 of their essence. Yes, of their essence along the way. However, um, with Yeshua, we're talking about he is, as Paul points out, the first fruits of the, the resurrection, not the first fruits of those who get raised from the dead generically, but specifically. Resurrection from the dead that is a transformation and of the person is and the, the essence of the body. to the skeptic is that right there. That's exactly right. Um, now, the other, the other question I've got is this verse 52 and 53. If there were many bodies, and if I'm not mistaken, somewhere else it actually 500. says five. 500, 500 right? were seen by him in Corinthians right. after he was raised. But they were not dead people, nor had they been dead people. In context, the 500 who saw him simply saw the resurrected Messiah. Okay. So, so we don't know how we don't know how many many is here. It's yeah. But enough. But if it was many. That's good. That's it good. seems like there would be. It seems like that. Like that's no small thing, right? Like, like these tombs open up. Yeah. And apparently they're open for at least three days, and then when he comes out of the grave, because it says in verse fifty-three, after his resurrection they entered the holy city, which kind of makes it a, 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 a sort of sound like they, maybe it's a zombie laying, thing. They're in the laying beginning. the grave. The graves kind of open up. On, uh, you know, on the the day he died when the earthquake well, well, happened. The, the, the verse right before this talks about the curtain being torn. Right. And in the same breath, exactly. the tombs are opened up. Right. But, but it's not until after, after his resurrection, which we know is three days and three nights later. Which would make sense because if he's kind of the first fruits, he's got to he's got to be raised first. first. Mm -hmm. But then it says many of these guys, many of these. Hang on, I'm coming. Many bodies were raised and went into the Holy City after his resurrection and appeared to many. It seems like that's like not an inconsequential thing. It seems like there would be something somewhere newspaper. else that would make reference to that sort of a significance of event. You yes. would think. You would think. Josephus doesn't seem to mention it. 
he's the greatest historian we have to touch back on. Nor, nor, nor does, does it the seem to be any reference to it in any other Jewish material that I'm aware of. And quite frankly, that's not really surprising. Um, if it yes, was maybe, maybe not. Right? I mean, in in light of the fact that wait a second, we, we heard this guy was talking about rising from the dead. We don't, we don't want anybody to be stealing the body here. It may not have been written down because of that. I mean, it's, I mean, maybe they had a problem with the liberal press even back then. <laughs> you know, false news, right? So, but I, I get it. And uh, uh, next week, let's uh, or uh, next class, let's take a look at how long it may have been before these folks started wandering in. And do you have to show yourself to the priest if you died, <laughs> and then you've been raised? <laughs> And maybe the door was just to the tombs were just open, right? And you're still dead. But or maybe you're not, and you're like not having to eat. I mean, if this is a different resurrection, then these guys would not have died. If what you said was true, and I believe it, and his was the first fruits of those who will be raised from the dead to a new body that is incorruptible and without sin. If that's true, and these guys had to wait for that to happen so that they could be a part of that, that would be new theology. The Christians don't believe that, let's say, 27, 29, all right, I'm going to go 30 people, came out of the tombs and walked into Jerusalem. Because... If what you said is true, and these guys are part of that, they're still alive. Probably pretty old, but we know they're not giving or taking in marriage. So, maybe they were, what was the number, uh, 34? Could be. I like that number. I like that number. Did you have a comment, sir? No, I retracted. Retracted, Kathy. You sure? Mm -hmm. Okay. Can, we, can I take us back to the night of the crucifixion? Take me back. Because I thought of something this week. You very astutely pointed out in this week's study that Yeshua had to be running on empty. Holy I mean, cow, what wow. a long day. I mean, we just did New Year's Eve, right? Yeah. So I got up at 6 in the morning on the 31st. All day I'm going. These jamokes show up at like 7 at night, and they're here until like 10. Then he stays with his wife, and we watch... What do we watch? The Tarzan movie. The Tarzan movie. Great movie, by the way. PG-13, awesome. Tarzan revealed the Tarzan. Legend Tarzan. The Legend of Tarzan. Tarzan. Really excellent movie. Highly recommended for the kids. It's, uh, what a stand-up guy. And you should see him do that vine thing. Man, <laughs> unbelievable. So now it's like one in the morning. They're just leaving. And at that point in the Master's Day, he stayed up the rest of the night. So one of the things about the gospel writers that I think is really cool is they make a point of including a lot of various and sundry details. Um, and sometimes they highlight the significance of those details, and sometimes they don't. So on this particular case, they chose not to highlight the significance of the fact that he stays up all night. But I know it's Pesach, wrong holiday. But however, Hebrews likes to tie in Yeshua's death and resurrection to Yom Kippur. One of the traditions, according to Judaism, mm. is that the high priest has to stay up all night 
before Yom Kippur. We don't want any kind of problems. Don't want to have any reason why he might become unclean. I mean, they go so far as to say that like they've got guys watching him, to, like poking with sticks if he starts to fall asleep. So it's interesting to me that the way that this goes down, Yeshua is, is ends up spending staying up all night long until it never really has the opportunity to take a little nap. No, and, until his sacrificial death the next day. Which to me, again, harkens back to that same imagery that we're getting, even to the point where with the burial, he's wrapped in linen, which harkens back to the linen garments that the priest wears for young people, etc. So there's a lot of really cool imagery. All, all the way around, it's a great parallel. You bet. And uh, I hope that we'll, we'll see that when we get to the book of Hebrews as well. Good. Good comments. Anything else? I've, I've stayed up. 42 consecutive hours once. That's because you're stupid. Well, I was I was younger. You and uh, <laughs> I, your ability to focus on things rapidly deteriorates after even 24 hours. Yeah. Well, that's how they train the special forces, guys. And the Rangers keep them up all night yeah. until they start to hallucinate. Yeah. It's it's amazing. So it's, it's not surprising to me that... Uh, when questioned by Pilate the next morning, or even Herod, the master doesn't have a whole lot to say. <laughs> All right, so back to our list here. We see in Acts chapter 4, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Yeshua, and great grace was upon them. All, Acts chapter 24, Paul is uh, making his defense. This I confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect, parenthetically, of Judaism. I worship the God of our fathers, that would be the patriarchs, believing everything laid down by the Torah and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And that, of course, is what we're talking about uh, earlier on, in, uh, as, as the Master mentions, that the, uh, the Queen of the South and uh, what was the other group? Queen of the South and the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment. Cool. So First uh, Corinthians 15, we've got two verses there. I gave you that uh, Paul is uh, pretty clear about. If Messiah is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? It's just not possible. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also, uh, has come also the resurrection of the dead. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse fourteen, one of my favorites. For since we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, even so through Yeshua, God will bring him, with him those who have fallen asleep. And you get right into the whole um, rapture deal right after that. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life in Hebrews. And then finally in Revelation 20, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such a second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Messiah, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So there you go. It is important. And I uh, don't know how you argue your faith or, or, or what it is that people question you about, uh, but back to the skeptic, certainly 
if they're questioning the resurrection, it seems maybe I'm taking it out of context. Maybe I'm going overboard. Uh, but I think as we go through the rest of the epistles uh, and the Acts of the Apostles coming up, we're going to find that if you had anything to argue about, it, it is that he was raised from the dead. Because, really, what is it we argue with the rabbis that we meet and see in our day-to-day -day walk today? We don't argue that he's a nice guy. We don't argue that he might have been a prophet. A mensch! You say he's the son of God? They want to part company. Well, in, in the skeptic view I, was, I had in mind was that traditional Orthodox view that they certainly believe in the resurrection. Absolutely. The ones who didn't but, are no longer but, with us. But the but they question why was his resurrection any more or less significant. Than Elijah's raising the, the kid. Yeah. You, know, kind of, you bet. You bet. Yeah. All right. Good. Yes, sir. Another, another quirky thing. I love quirky things. Crucifixion day. Yeah. Um, so, you may have noticed there is a notorious person who gets mentioned in this week's reading that you had us do, um, which is uh, whose meaning of his name is most interesting when you look at it in the Hebrew. You see his name is Barabbas in English, English um, which is not the best translation, or certainly it kind of obscures the translation here. So his actual name would have been Barabbas, which is son of the father, the Lord, Aramaic, the yes. Aramaic version. Excuse me, because Bar would be um, son of, son of, just like, just in like Hebrew ben. ben, Ben. So his name in Aramaic would have been uh, son of the father, which is ironic because he is exchanged, he is taken set free, instead of the son of God, who is also the son of the father. So there's this weird sort of like. It's a play almost. If you know the Hebrew or the Aramaic, it's a play, it's a play there because yeah. release the son of release Baraba, and they hand over the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> they hand over the guy whose name is Baraba, but not That's the son of the Baraba. Bar right. Yeah, it really is pretty cool. I I think uh, I think your concert B flat Christian has to spend a whole lot more time with you to appreciate the humor. But it's more than humor. Iron. I think there's significance here yeah. because Yeshua's the whole, the whole idea of Yeshua's death, in, according to um, the later epistles, is and, and also to Isaiah 53. So it's not just a new thing. Um, is that it is an exchange for us? This is Judaism's teaching of the righteous man suffering for the others, right? Mm -hmm. So Yeshua swaps out with Baraba, and it's not meant to simply be another nail in a coffin, if you will, of the Jews at the time who were who were confused. It's I think it's supposed to be symbolic. Yes. It's supposed to be saying Yeshua is exchanging himself for someone else who deserves to die. That's right. And that person who deserves to die is not only this a parallel nickname, so to speak, to who Yeshua is, but also I think is relevant too because the son of the father is a very generic term that really applies to all of us. And so it's like, Are we all the son of our father? in a weird way, Barabbas is not only a parallel to Yeshua, he is also a stand-in for the everyman. 
at least the average Jew. So right. I think that's right. I think it I think it's important. It's not just that he got exchanged for a criminal. There's no need to put his name in there. Right. But they put it in there specifically because I think that they're supposed to be um, it's supposed to be eye catching. You bet. Those are, those are right. great that point. You should. You should absolutely should pick up on and and quite frankly, I was I was hoping that my uh, my my final questions there got you to think about your own faith and whether you know there is something that you need to work on because not only are we all a son of a father, but if you look at it honestly, haven't we all broken the commandments? Haven't we all done that which is deserving of death in some way? Good. Outstanding. I, I should have put it in the study guide, and I'll probably go back and claim credit for that. <laughs> you can feel free. Thank you. Um, reading, especially the first uh, passages you gave us, I was struck by in John's account how scared pa uh, Pilate seemed yeah. interviewing Yeshua. And then with the wife interaction thing. Yeah, and it, w it was interesting for me to, to kind of put myself in his shoes because he didn't ask for this. Right. And he's, he never met the guy in his life. And he's already convinced that there's something about this Yeshua. Just interview. Like, imagine if you had to interview. Yeah. Uh, Mel actually portrayed that um, piece of the passion. Pretty cool, I thought, the yeah. way he just had Pilate just paranoid and the white, you know. Yeah, it was, it was great. It, it, it seemed like he was genuinely scared of yeah. what was and, happening. And quite frankly, I, I think the, the, the account makes it clear he came out and said, I'm going to let this guy go. I can't find anything wrong with him. He's certainly not anything worthy of death. Which, if you think about the way Romans viewed Jews in general at the time, that's somewhat remarkable. You bet. Because they didn't really need an excuse to, to just kill a Jew. They, yeah. they didn't really they didn't care. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah, kill everybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And briefly, previous Baraba comment actually came from a religion professor at Wingate University, believe it or not. I don't even know if he believes in the Bible, but he came up with that one. But back to the, Brock's point, which is a very good one. Um, I can't recall exactly where I read this, but apparently the history of Pilate is instructive here. So Pilate is no friend of the Jews yeah. up to this point. He's had issues. Part of the reason why I think he's totally stressed out about this is because he's kind of on a two out of three strikes you're out kind of system with, with Rome. With, with Rome. The Jews in Israel have already had some protests, riots. There yeah. was a whole string of, of, uh, of crucifixions well, 30 years earlier yeah. uh, up in the Galilee over, over a, a rebellion. So Pilate's kind of got this tenuous situation. So I think yeah, he's... He doesn't want the bosses to come in and take him out because there's trouble. Right. He, he's not able to... Keep it, keep, keep it peaceful. peaceful and so I think he's actually caught in a weird place because not only is I think he's somewhat taken by Yeshua and it seems that his wife is somewhat spiritually inclined whether she's a good way or a bad way she seems to think hey there's some bad you know yeah. stuff going on here yeah. um, I think on top of that Pilate's also caught between a rock and a hard place because he's not sure which side's going to riot because on the one hand he's got a guy claiming to be king of the Jews and the people who are friends of Rome are the ones putting him up to be crucified. But Pilate knows that most of the Jews are not friends of Rome. And if this guy is, at least thinks he's who they say he is, there's a good chance there's a whole long list of people that also think he is who he says he is. Yeah. 
And I think Pilate is caught because mm. I think he's afraid of the people protesting in front of him because he knows that can spin out of control. But I think he's also thinking, if I hang this guy in a tree on a hill outside of Jerusalem, I could have an army of all of his followers beating down the gates tomorrow. That's right. So I don't think it's just I don't think it's just that he's like I don't I don't think that Pilate's having a conversion moment here. I think Pilate is having a very real world practical oh my goodness this is spiraling out of my control and I have to make a very hard choice. You're right. Yeah. That's exactly right. The government the govern the govern government the the position of governor of a Roman province governor. was a very sought out position because mm-hmm. he had a lot of money a lot of political power so that also on top of that. This is not the first time they had to put down a revolt in Judea, and it's, it was difficult to do the first time. They knew it was going to be difficult to do again if it yeah. ever happens. Yeah. And it actually ends up being difficult when they have to come back right. 30 or 40 years later. Mm-hmm. And, he know, and he knows that the zealots are looking for any, any excuse right. to ignite you know, another revolt. So he's right. like on eggshells. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to look next week at the guys that go fishing. Seven out of the 12 go fishing. We certainly understand why one is missing. <laughs> that leaves four other guys that did not go fishing. And your homework, you're going to have to figure out, who are the four guys that didn't go fishing? Hmm. Something to think about, something you probably haven't looked at before. But the word zealot should come to mind. Hmm. So, uh, so what were your thoughts on this whole... Let's say the brutality of his confinement. We don't allow this in our country, despite what Democrats may think. Uh, Scourging, torture, berating of prisoners is totally inappropriate in our country. So can you get a sense after reading it, looking at at the lesson, for not only how long the master had been awake, but now, after the treatment he received, emotionally, mm-hmm. and then physically, is it any wonder that he could not carry that patibulum himself, that he couldn't carry that cross piece himself? We know he did for a little bit. I think the movie's got it right. He, he does collapse under the weight of that at some point because one of the Gospels makes it clear that he did carry it where the others say that uh, someone was called in. Why was he called in? Evidently because he was trying to carry it in. It could, you know, collapse. So I, my, my hope was that you would get a sense for the blood loss because he didn't die on the cross of blood loss. It's not like the nail in his feet caused him to bleed out and there's a big puddle or something like that. It's not like that, right? So, comments on his passion. It's moving, isn't it? If, if you actually read through it, it is astonishing. It truly is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had to stop. We, I, cut the, I was going to you know, do the whole thing. We'll go from here all the way to the end of the gospel. This was going to be the last one. And I, I, was, I, was, I was devastated emotionally. I just couldn't go any further. So. Good. Final comments on that? I want to know how the Roman garrison story got out. 
I think there's a couple of stories that we've read over the past couple of weeks that you have to wonder, didn't somebody have to tell that? And didn't disciples, it have to be somebody that was there? Perhaps they uh, had a minor in journal journalism, investigative reporting. Could have been. Could have been. We know that Peter was staying pretty close, right? Um, but I think... Didn't All John or one of them get or, inside? Well, but that's with the trial. With the garrison, where Yeshua was <laughs> taken in, flogged, and mocked, at least three, if not all four Gospels mention that. Which is intriguing, because Luke is, Luke is the investigative journalist. He's the one who goes after the fact, interviews people, and so on and so forth. The other three seem to be basing it off of some level of either first-person or well, second-hand information. Well, we haven't gotten to the death and... Resurrection, right? I mean, well, oh, actually, you death. finished at the death. So I asked you, what was the reaction of everybody at the cross? Don't forget the centurion. soldiers, like the centurion. So if some of them came to some understanding, in fact, one of them says, surely this man was the Son of God, then perhaps mm -hmm. we get from him uh, an understanding of what went on. Earlier in the day, which is pretty cool if you think about it. Yeah. Which, uh, what was the movie that came out earlier this year that picks up at the uh, what's it? Risen. Risen. Uh, yeah. yeah, Risen. Yeah. Yeah. It picks up as they're uh, as he's dying on the cross is where the story picks up, and it and it's basically about the Roman one of the Roman commanders who. Uh, it was his soldiers who were at the foot of the cross, oh, and, uh, and and then, up his garments. and then Caiaphas and and, and uh, Pilate tell this commander. This is according, this is according to the movie, but it's it you know, it, but it, it makes a lot. It's plausible. Right, they, so it's complimentary. That they tell this commander, look, you know, he said he was going to raise from the dead. We think his disciples are going to try to steal the body. You know, so make sure that doesn't happen, and then it does, right? So now he's in, he's, he's kind in of hot in hot water, and he's tasked with finding the body, and he goes on this search, you know, this search, uh, intensive search mission, trying to find the body, and then he encounters the risen Yeshua, mm -hmm. and changes his life, right? It's a really interesting perspective, yeah. But you can see how. If you had someone who was part of all the events, yeah, and in and the Roman then, side, on the Roman side, and then you know, yeah, um, felt that there was something unique and significant enough about that that it that ended up, being, you know, that information got shared beyond what maybe it would have otherwise. You mm -hmm. know, the uh, there was a very very <coughs> old movie called The Robe. I was literally about to mention that. Oh man, I mean, it's just it's. Just, it's what you just described, right. and he's he's going nuts. Were you there? Were you there? You know, he's just freaking out in the boat. Yes, the company show me with the rope. Essentially, yeah, yeah. yeah the rope gets thrown on him. Ah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a good movie. It, it's it's good yeah, it is a good it is a good movie. So, so the uh, risen is that uh, is that by uh, Mel Gibson? No, no, it's uh, a different producer, but it was it was good. It was, it was good. It was, yeah, yeah. It was, worth seeing. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, so let's uh, let's close up with uh, you can put your stuff away um, with what I want you to do for for next week. 
uh, in my, this is my wife's suggestion that I review how I put together uh, my review for lesson 10, which you're going to do, which you have two weeks to do. Um, basically, we're going to look at, uh, in depth, I hope, uh, the conversation with the master. Uh, so not to spoil it, I'm assuming you've read the Bible at least once. Um, Jesus does rise from the dead. Yay! We went out. Oh, um, but he, uh, he actually ends up on the Sea of Galilee, not walking this time, but actually cooking breakfast. And uh, Peter you know, gets called over to have breakfast, and, and the master's cooking fish and bread. And uh, he asks Peter to bring some of the fish that he just caught over so he can cook some of that up too. 153, 153 fish. So we're going to talk about why 153. Um, and I'm going to get mine from my idea from Ray Comfort. Um, but I want to hear yours and why. Is it 100? Two weeks, two weeks. Take your time. Don't blow it now. <laughs> Save it up. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, but we're going to spend most of our time talking about this conversation between the Master and Peter. And it goes something like this. Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He says, well, then feed my sheep. And the Master says again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, well, Lord, you know I love you. He says, well, tend my sheep, or my lambs. And, uh, I just and, uh, and then the master says again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, getting exasperated that he's now asked three times, says, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And he says, well, feed my flock, or feed my sheep, or feed my lambs. So, the master's response on the back end is different all three times. So it turns out that Peter's response changes as well. And the question that the master asks actually changes as well. But in English, it looks like you're saying the same things over and over again, and you wonder if they're both on drugs. <laughs> or so, hard of hearing. Or hard of hearing, yeah. There's a lot of wind blowing that day. Um, so... Uh, my wife thought it would be prudent if, especially for you younger guys, I shared with how I started to tear apart, what is this all about? And so in a nutshell, I'm going to tell you that I looked at what was said in the language in which it was written. So I read it in the Greek. And whether you can read Greek or not is really not important these days if you've got a computer or an iPad or a dad. So I think it covers everybody, right? <laughs> Strong yeah. concordance also. Yeah, Even if you don't have that, it's available on the web, right? So if you've got the internet, you got a computer, you got an iPad, you got a dad, you can work through this. Um, so I looked at what the Greek said and what Greek words they were and tried to determine from that, I saw that there was actually a difference. What he asked was not the same. What he said was not the same. And then the response was not the same. And then I went a step further and used what we're looking at as almost a Rosetta Stone 
And I took the Greek that I found, and I looked for those same words in the Tanakh, in the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament, if you will, written in Greek. So that I could see, since so many of the references that we've looked up are not word for word from the Hebrew Bible, but they're pretty darn close when you take them out of the Septuagint. So I looked in the Septuagint, and I found several verses that seemed to fit and help me to understand what perhaps the Master was talking about and trying to get Peter to understand. He says, I help. I'm hoping that you're not just going to blow it off. Ben, Joshua, Josiah, and uh, Micah, you guys, I know, I got that village. Um, you guys are going to hit that and come next week. We're going to talk about that a little bit, okay? Because that is... It's the last thing we're going to talk about out of the Gospels. And I really want you to have a good handle on it. All right? Questions? If you need some help during the week, two weeks, studying that, call somebody else. So, um, it's um, the 3rd of January. And that doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. But it's also the month of Tibet. And this is the 10th month, right? So we've got the fast of the 4th, the fast of the 5th, the fast of the 7th, and the fast of the 10th. And it's the 10th day of the 10th month. When Nebuchadnezzar began the siege against Jerusalem. That would be this Sunday, and that is a fast day for us. So I'm hoping that you're going to, to do that. What would be one good reason why you should fast on Sunday? How many say to lose it's weight? It's not Shabbat. It's not Shabbat. <laughs> That's good. How many say to lose weight? No. Okay. What's one good reason for me to fast this Sunday? Time's up. What's one good reason for me to fast this Sunday? Because you're full from last dinner. Okay. <laughs> What's one good reason for me to fast this Sunday? He's supposed to. Okay. Good. It would be expected. Good. What's one good reason to fast this Sunday? Because it's a fast day. Okay. That's actually the right answer. Why is it a fast day? Because we are more why is it a fast day? It's not a trick question. How do you know it's a fast day? Is it tradition? It is tradition. It was tradition. And it was tradition long enough that something happened. To be referenced in the scripture. It got referenced by the prophets. And in fact, the prophets, God himself used... These fast days, the 4th, the 5th, the 7th, and the 10th, in order to demonstrate the difference between what it's like now and what it's like when the Master comes back. So these days of mourning and fasting are going to turn into days of joy and feasting. And they're not going to turn into anything for you guys unless they're days of fasting and mourning now. So, you actually proclaim the fact that you believe that Messiah will come 
you fast on this day. Because what you're saying publicly is, I'm fasting today because I know that someday I won't be fasting on this day. Simple as that. All right? What type of fast is this fast? This is an easy fast. Very, very easy so, fast. In fact, I was talking to Mr. So. McDonald. He works for me in Canada. And he was uh, talking about getting another cup of coffee this morning. So I, you know, sent him a little note. And I said, you know, you might want to be careful with the coffee this week. Kind of cut back, you know, because we've got to fast on Sunday. And he wrote back and said, we're only going to get about five hours of light in Canada. Not really worried about it. That's an easy fast, let me tell you. I think this is actually the shortest fast of the year. Yeah, it is, for sure. Based on when it is. Yeah. Not that hard. Yeah, we should be just fine. So you don't have to worry about the caffeine headaches or anything like that. Five hours is pretty easy, you know. It was an anchorage. Yeah, so it'll be an easy deal. So I do hope you fast. And, uh, and that'll be good. It's also, I think, important to re reference the reason for the fast. It's not just a fast day, but the, rest, the reason tying to the um, Siege, uh, of Jerusalem. Siege of Jerusalem of Nebuchadnezzar, and ultimately, as we will eventually get to at a later fast day, the taking and destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And the temple. Um, this book of Psalms makes it very clear. David says um, he will put the uh, Jerusalem of his highest joy. And we actually mark that in our wedding ceremonies, That's right. in which That's we actually we take a moment to be sorrowful, and, and also is, uh, it's a symbolized in the shattering of the glass yeah. as well, because we want to make sure that in the moment of our highest joy, we remember God's holy city. Amen. So the fast day, considering the connection to the destruction of Jerusalem and to the, um, the sadness of that, and the reminder, as you pointed out, the reminder that we are not yet there. You know, Jerusalem may be under Jewish control today. Well, right now. But it is under constant threat by the uh, by the world at large. Uh, and it is not uh, in the state. There's no temple. It's not yeah. in the state that it will be when Messiah reigns. Amen. So it is a really good reminder that um, we're not there yet. And to be asking God to, as, as Greg's children like to say for Friday night, Bring Mashiach now. now. That's exactly right. Amen. Great point. Which is why I hope on January 21st we move our embassy to Jerusalem. That would be super. I'm hoping that's the first official act. It would be really good. This year would be cool, too, because this year is the 50th anniversary of the retaking of Jerusalem, which is cool enough by itself. It's a young bell. But it's also a jubilee number. Not that it's actually right, a jubilee right. year. We right. don't know how they count those. But... That's pretty cool. That's extremely cool. unusual. It's, and uh, uh, 1967 to 19 uh, to 2017. Yeah, 50 years. And then Israel will be celebrating it for the next several months up until I think it's May. It's Jerusalem Day this year on the Jewish calendar. Yeah. Good. All right. Final uh, final moments. I just uh, I think you have a an announcement to the men, and I'd like us to pray. I'm going to use that chair there. So why don't you tell them what's going on? Oh, yeah, well, I kind of mentioned it already to most of the guys here. but uh, yeah, Wyndham, Not to the people at the other end of that mic. No, well, yeah, sure. Uh, Wyndham, uh, the company that I work at, they, they're they very much tied to how the race
rates fluctuate, and this was a pretty significant rate hike that happened recently, and uh, they're in survival mode right now. So they like cut like almost a third of the of the employees, and uh, so I was one of them. They're not going to be doing digital marketing anymore, basically. Isaac's okay. Yeah, yeah, because he. I, we're fact, powered to him. He's one hundred percent commission. Yeah. Um, so like they, they they would never cut somebody yeah, like that was a hundred percent commission. You know. Um, so yeah, so yeah, he's he's good to go for sure. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I definitely, uh, definitely ask for your prayers and uh, and uh, I'm excited to see like what's next. Um, Charlotte's an amazing place, and I certainly wouldn't want to move. So it's focusing here and. Uh, yeah. God forbid. <laughs> so let's uh, let's take a moment, if you would, just, just go around the room, and uh, as you're led, let's uh, lift up Gregory and uh, your job situation. Uh, I've been there. Many of us have been there. It's an unpleasant thing. Your stomach feels kind of funny. Um, it's a strength builder. It's a faith builder, and uh, I am confident that uh, as my father-in-law, my godly father-in-law has been saying for over 30 years, a good man can always get a job. And I'm confident that that'll be the case here. So uh, let's pray and I'll close this out. Heavenly Father, I just want to lift up my brother-in-law Gregory and thank you uh, for his um, Remarkable spirits. We, you can, you, he, demonst he demonstrates his faith in you uh, by the fact that he doesn't allow something like this to uh, crush his his joy. That he manages to stay energetic and active, and and, um, and I can see that. And I thank you that you know, as you, when you do things, we know that you always have a reason and purpose, and you never put us through more than we can handle. And I, I, um, I see that in Gregory that he's the type of man. And, he has the type of family to be able to handle a situation like this uh, with um, with a perfect score and that you will be glorified in him. Mm -hmm. We just pray right now that you would um, heed the prayer that you know he has taught his entire family to sing in Hebrew uh, after every meal, which you, you, you quote from the Psalms that says, I have never seen a righteous man forsaken. Mm -hmm. And we just pray that you would... Um, I pray that you would do more than give Gregory a job. We ask instead that you would provide him with um, employment that would uh, transcend even his expectations, that he would have um, the, the pay and the benefits and the opportunities that he um, uh, would want and desire, and that it would be uh, above and beyond where he has been, and that it would be an opportunity for you to demonstrate yourself faithful Mm. Uh, that you would demonstrate not only to him, but to the many people around him as he's reaching out to people for contacts and information. We just pray that um, you would allow this to be a testimony to them as well and that they would get to see your mighty hand working. Mm. Uh, and we just pray that you continue to give them energy and patience and peace and support. Um, pray especially for... Um, for Morgan and for their kids that you would help them to... Uh, be able to trust in you and to be calm and, and relaxed throughout all this, that they would be able to um, not be stressed, that they would, uh, we pray that Gregory would have, continue to have your peace 
and your patience and that he would have the energy and the diligence <coughs> to, to do what he needs to do, but at the same time that he would be able to, um, uh, the same time that he would not uh, uh, project a spirit of anxiety or fear, but that he would be able to project confidence in you. Um, you know, the, the kind of thing that as, uh, as his children get older that they would be able to point to and say, that I, I never doubted that God would provide for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Rabina, I thank you that um, you are mindful of all of our needs. And I'm uh, reminded of the scripture that says even that we should prosper and be in health even as our souls prosper. And I know that Gregory's soul has prospered and is prospering, and therefore we can stand on that promise with him. Uh, And we thank you that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that he could even ask or even imagine. We know, Father, that you are able to do more for us in a nanosecond than we can do for ourselves in a thousand natural lifetimes. You own all the cattle on the hill. You own all the silver and gold. And so um, I thank you that you're going to just use this as an opportunity to increase faith in Gregory and Morgan's lives. I thank you that you're going to give him favor. I thank you that you're going to provide him even a better opportunity that allows him to, uh, to continue to develop his career and his skills. I thank you that Um, We are not dependent upon Wyndham or this company or that company. We are only dependent upon you and your grace and your mercy. Mm -hmm. And so we just uh, lift them up. We pray that you would just um, uh, allow this uh, time to be a time for Gregory to begin to maybe develop his own vision for the future um, and things that you would have him work on and, and do and whether the timing of those things is now or later that you would give him wisdom that you would guide his steps um, and that uh, at the end of this process that he would be able to stand up confidently with a testimony and declare this is how God has provided for me and my family and I pray that you would just um, reassure him that uh, as long as he's part of this community, no one's going homeless. No one's going. No one's going to go hungry. Babies will have shoes, and uh, Hashem is still on the throne. Hashem is sure. Father, we we uh, know that it's very obvious that uh, that Gregory and, and his family call on your name. And because of that, we could be highly confident that you'll cause this to work for their good, as you've said so in your word. And we ask, Father, we'd be able to, uh, to see that play out uh, very evidently in their lives, that the, the drive here would not be long. Uh, we pray, Father, that, uh, that you would work in... Uh, the lives of others to uh, to bring about another job opportunity for Gregory uh, very soon, and uh, in the interim, Father, we pray that they would uh, would would uh, continue to project 
their faith and trust uh, in you as the one thing that is uh, is helping to guide them through this time in their lives. Yes. Father, you're, uh, uh, you have uh, promised that you'll cause these things to work together to good, for good. Uh, we trust in you for that. And uh, we thank you, Father, that you're giving us, those around Gregory, the opportunity to watch that play out in their lives. Lord, Greg Bartos is not a complacent man. He's not an unskilled man. And it is said that skilled men do not stand before obscure men, but stand before kings. Pray that you would bring those opportunities to Greg. And, and when he's in the situations where he's interviewing for those opportunities, that you would give him the words to say and you would give him calm and peace and give him the wisdom to know what what would be the best fit for him going forward, not just for the right now, but for his career going forward. Yes. I pray that you would give his family a peace and, and a faith in you and how this is going to work out. Um, I pray that all this is uh, expedited according to your will. Mm -hmm. name. Father, I thank you for these men. I thank you for the opportunity you've given us to pray for Gregory. Father, I know that he knows in his heart, in his soul, that it is you that gives him the opportunity to make wealth. And I know that he's looking to you, Father. Father, I, I'm not praying for the job. I'm praying for the story that he can tell. Because I know that each job that he's gotten has been at your hand. And the circumstances that you've divinely ordained. And I pray, Father, you'll do that again. You'll do it soon and quickly that... Uh, he might not despair. I thank you for those that have already stepped up, Father, uh, to provide funds to cover for Gregory and uh, if it uh, comes to that and he needs. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the opportunity he had at Wyndham, for the great uh, experience and the accolades and awards that he had. And now, Father, pray that you would uh, launch him again on another opportunity uh, that would bring glory to you and praise to your son. We pray all these things. Hashem Yeshua HaMashiach Amen. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and our Lord, and all these godly men said, Amen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that very much. Gregory, get a job. Let's see if you can do as soon as you can. I know that a lot of times at Wells Fargo, by the time you post publicly, a lot of those jobs, they're like, they've already got candidates lined up. So.